Welcome to Voices of Experience, the official podcast of the National Speakers Association. I'm your host, technology strategist and futurist, Crystal Washington. On today's episode, Two Price Perspectives, we're going to hear from two of our colleagues who have been staying busy with virtual presentations, but they have completely opposite positions on how to price virtual. Let's hear what they have to say. On today's episode of Voices of Experience, we have Cheryl Knowlton, CSP, CDEI, DREI, which those last two have to do with being a certified distant education instructor and distinguished instructor in real estate. She's conducted over 35 virtual sessions since April in real estate, the industry she's been a part of for over 21 years. She obviously started when she was three years old. Thank you so much for being with us today, Cheryl. Thank you so much, Crystal. It's an honor to be here. Let's talk pricing. Because if you're like me, Cheryl, and you've spoken to other speakers and you've seen speakers groups, you know that people are everywhere when it comes to how do we price our virtual offerings. And so I know that you have a very specific way of looking at this. So I can't wait to share it with our VOE listeners. So my first question is, what's the number one mistake you see speakers make in pricing their virtual experiences versus in-person events? That is such a fantastic question. I think the number one mistake that I see is speakers forgetting their value, forgetting why that client would have hired them to begin with to bring it and just recognizing that if we, if we switch forums and it's no longer in person, uh, I just had this discussion with my agent the other day, the client theoretically, especially if it's for an event that has already been booked, they don't have to pay for the event. They don't have to pay for my travel. They don't have to pay for my food, my transportation, my hotel, all of that package, all of those funds that were allocated and set aside for me to make that trip out there. Those funds um, are freed up for other things so that we can deliver an even more amazing experience. What items should we consider? That's a great question also. That that goes back to your last question of what what does the client want in terms of the outcome and, and how are we going to deliver that? For example, if I am teaching a self-hosted continuing education class, which now my classroom gets to be the entire United States and I've even had students from Canada, which has broadened the horizons of, of and the entire experience in magical and wonderful ways. This is not entirely been a bad thing. Mm-hmm. We need to figure out how we're going to deliver that. So for me, I have, I have, like many of you, many of our listeners have transitioned into a, a home studio of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, all of my Disney-ness is um, elevated with, with more fun and more things that we have to uh, bring this to life, like that old GE ad. We bring good things to life. <laughs> if the client, if I were doing a keynote, how However, I would be doing it differently than if I'm teaching an eight-hour CE class. If I'm going to want multiple camera angles, if I'm going to need a switcher, if I'm going to need multiple lights, advanced sound so that everything is is delivered in a very crisp and clear way, then I'm going to have to pay for that. Whether I um, am being a PhD and taking so many of our amazing influence pre-sessions I have decided that I will invest only the amount of money that I need to create 
X experience, but if I want to create a Y experience, and if that's what the client expects as I move into other events, much bigger events for a much bigger audience, I'm hiring a a fabulous NSA member in my marketplace who um, also does events for other major speakers in in my marketplace. And he will do multiple camera angles, multiple shots, incredible lighting, incredible sound. Some of us, I mean, we hear about some of the, uh, our fellow speakers who have invested tens of thousands of dollars into a home studio. That was not for me. Okay. Because I wouldn't know how to use all of those things. And if, if I'm focused on the wrong thing, if I have to be the tech delivery and I am bringing what they hired me to bring. Those two things don't exist in the same space very well. And I, so I think that that requires some introspection on the part of each speaker. Um, there is no pat answer. Each of us needs to custom create the event that our clients want. Because once we know, if I have been paid X or signed a contract for X number of diamonds. And then now all of a sudden, instead of having all of my travel reimbursed entirely, which was in the contract, that's no longer a thing, right? Right. But if they want multiple camera angles and lights and massively fabulous sound, that's going to cost me $150 an hour. And that needs to be budgeted in. If I am solid in my own value, Mm-hmm. Then, then I've got to add that rather than subtract it from from the total fee. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. And and another thing that I caught is anyone that listens to VOE knows that. And and Cheryl, you did this. You already knew this as well. Uh, with National Speakers Association, we don't talk about specific fees. Now, I usually talk pineapples. You talk diamonds. That lets me know that I need to get to your level because I'm being paid in pineapples and you're being paid in diamonds. So I already need to go back and reassess my value. But after that, let's move on. Okay. So what happens to pricing Then your diamonds? We're going to move on. We're not going to use my pineapples. What happens to your diamond pricing once a contracted in-person event turns virtual? What, what happens to your pricing then? And first of all, for the record, I love your pineapples, but yeah, you're so cute. Um, I, that is an interesting question because right now I'm looking at events that I'm already contractually obligated to do and thank heaven and knock on wood. You can probably hear me knocking on wood. My current clients that I'm contractually obligated to deliver an event mm-hmm. have not even asked me to modify my fee at all. None of them. Mm-hmm. And, I, and we're talking about six or seven events that have, that are on the calendar scheduled and we are working together to create something new and entirely different um, as they work to, to try to pivot for their members um, in, in my real estate world. I mean, it, this is tough. It's tough for our clients mm-hmm. to, to think that they were going to be delivering something that we've been delivering for years in terms of live events and they they know the recipe for that particular brand of chocolate cake and they can consistently deliver that and now all of a sudden the oven isn't working (laughs) how do you make a chocolate cake rise if you've got no heat we've got to come up with alternate heat sources thank heaven for dutch oven dutch oven cobbler is what it's all about you can even make chocolate cake in a dutch oven (laughs) so 
coming up with a metaphoric alternative heat sources. That being said, that none of them have asked me to change it. My agent is in the process of, of negotiating new events, brand new events. Contractually, we have not agreed to anything. And so I got to have this conversation with her this week. Like, uh, wait a minute, you know, they're the budget that they would have paid for my flight, my hotel, my transportation can be reallocated to AV equipment and delivering an amazing experience if that is what they want. But my fee, uh, I'm actually considering raising it for virtual events because it takes more out of me. People hire me for my energy and I know that. I think every speaker needs to be very clear about why you, why are they hiring you? Why are you the one who's uniquely positioned to solve this problem for their client base? Because the more tightly we can define our particular value, the, the more solid we can be in our pricing. Even though I'm saying all of these things about being solidly tied into our value and what we bring Mm -hmm. um, and having an agent that negotiates well for us and being able to negotiate well for ourselves, for those who are listening that don't necessarily have an agent doing their negotiating, we've got to stay alive. Yeah, I mean, that's been... (laughs) Staying alive is very, very important. And so I, I don't want to by any means, give anyone the impression that I want you to be rigid in, in your pricing. Just have conversations, open conversations, laying down solidly, laying down expectations with the client from the very, very beginning so that you can work together to create something. And then, and hopefully a lot of those issues will resolve themselves when clients see how much goes into this. And if you tell them, it's going to cost me $150 an hour out of pocket for the AV necessary to deliver your event. They're going to say, Oh, we cannot assume. We all know what happens when we assume. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't assume that the client knows. You opened up space for the fact that we can negotiate, but you talked about knowing your value. So I'll give you an example or, or why I agree with you. I've been quoting my normal stage fees and I have gotten clients at that fee. Now, have I taken some for less than my fee? Yes, I have. So I love what you said in that not assuming that you should be paid less because it's virtual because I've had clients, really some clients that have been shocking where they're like, oh, no problem. It's organizations you would never think. And they're like, yeah, no problem. Here you go. Five figures. I'm like, what? That's a lot of pineapples. It is a lot of pineapples and broccoli. Cheryl provided us with the full fee perspective, but our next guest thinks we should charge less. Let's hear why. On this episode of Voices of Experience, we have Yoram Solomon, PhD. He was one of the first five speakers to become a certified virtual presenter by eSpeakers. He has a four camera setup, and even though he's been hired for over 30 virtual presentations, Since the onset of COVID-19, he insists on never charging more than 50% of his normal in-person fee. Thank you so much for joining us, Yoram. Thanks for having me, Crystal. Oh man, no more than 50% of your fee. I cannot wait to hear this. So first question is, you know, here you are someone who has obviously embraced virtual. You've invested in it. You have all these cameras and everything. But what's the number one mistake you see speakers making in pricing in their virtual experiences versus in-person events? And keep in mind, because we're part of the National Speakers Association, we can't talk actual numbers. We can talk percentages and pineapples. 
So go. Sounds good. Well, I think the mistake is really that uh, we're, we're trying to price it based on how much it costs us and how much effort goes into it. And, and there's no doubt there's a lot of effort that goes into putting together a good, high-quality uh, webinar or a virtual presentation. And this is something that I teach my students at, uh, at SMU. I, I tell them, look, you know, on, on a marketing in an MBA class, I ask them, if you make a product, that cost you $100 to make, how much would you charge for it? And I get a variety of answers. First of all, the first question, the answer is typically $200. Charge $200. If it costs you $100, charge $200. I don't know why people are so fascinated with 50% gross margin. <laughs> Second answer is charge more than 100 Obviously, it costs you 100 to make, charge more than 100 Then there's uh, always someone who's going to say, charge a 1000 charge, I, I don't know how, my, how much. The answer, the right answer is charge as much as they're willing to pay mm -hmm. because really it's only about value. The only thing that, that affect the fees are, uh, you know, I, I have this uh, three bucket uh, process of deciding how much I'm going to be charging. I try to stick to a standard fee. When you deliver something in person, you have a lot more flexibility in saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to reduce my fee because it's local. I'm going to reduce my fee because it's, uh, you know, two weeks in advance instead of uh, I need to block uh, something that's nine months uh, in advance. When you're delivering a webinar virtually, there's never going to be travel. So there's less flexibility on providing a discount. So uh, I use my uh, three bucket process uh, the same way I use it for uh, in-person presentations, I use it for my uh, virtual presentations as well. Okay, so when we're pricing our virtual programs, what items should we consider? Well, to me, again, there are three buckets. I mentioned my three-bucket process, and that is every one of my presentations fits into one of three buckets. That's what I call them. One is it's a paying customer, and I'll get back to that one. If it's a paying customer, it's a paying customer. Then you need to set your fees. Number three, bucket number three for me is a pro bono presentation. Pro bono is when you deliver it with absolutely no expectation for anything in return, not even a contact. If something happens, that's great, that's icing on the cake, but you do that because you're passionate about their topic, you're passionate about the organization and what it does and, and its value. To me, it's education. It's actually people seeking jobs. It is uh, veterans. So th there are very few organizations that I would do something pro bono. Then there is the uh, do it for marketing. This is bucket two. And for me, bucket two ties well into bucket one. And the question is, how much are they paying? Mm -hmm. So people who attend, how much do they pay? Even if I don't get paid or I don't get paid as much, how much do they pay? The second thing is... Uh, they have to be the right audience, so I'm, I'm going to do it for free if those are people who are in a position to hire me as a full fee speaker uh, later. And then um, they have to have selected my my talk to listen to. And it's not, uh, you know, like a Rotary Club, I'm going to show up Thursday at noon and whoever the speaker is, that's who I'm going to listen to. That I don't consider a bucket two. But let me go back to bucket one, a paying customer. A paying customer, the problem with uh, changing fees for a paying customer on a virtual presentation is that you don't have the flexibility that I mentioned on an in-person. 
So, oh, you know what? This is this is local. So it's not just that I'm not going to charge you for uh, travel, but it's easier for me to deliver. No, it's the same thing for everyone. So I, I tend to stick to my 50% of my in-person fee. Okay. Okay. So what happens to pricing once a contracted in-person event turns virtual? Because I think we've all been here at this point. So they paid your full fee and now they're saying, you know what, we're, we're going to make it virtual now on the same day. How does that impact pricing for you? Well, so it's an interesting question. All I have right now is what my philosophy is because none of my in-person events became virtual um, at the same, at the same uh, uh, format or at the same time and so on. So several things happened. One of them is several of those just got delayed. So we're just waiting and some of them are now being scheduled, but they're being scheduled as in person. So, uh, and I never got to the point where we agreed, we contracted it, and then it became virtual. Okay. So to me, I, I know what my philosophy is. My philosophy would be, well, I'm going to charge you half of what I, uh, the, the original price is, but I was never in that position. What did happen is that events that were not supposed to happen you know, in, in the near time frame, all of a sudden got scheduled as a webinar, and we really started from scratch. So instead of going to my full rate, which is boop, I went to 50% of that. Okay. I like the boop. I didn't do that. You did that. That was fabulous. You had it ready to go for us. Okay. <laughs> so are there any ways we can get more spinoff from our virtual experiences? Because you've done quite a few. Yeah. So it's, it's really funny. Here is a, there's an organization and I'm, they're booking me in person to do something in uh, September. And this is, uh, this is actually international. It's not even in the U.S. But the way they got to me was through a virtual uh, presentation that I gave to MPI. Mm. And uh, I, I got great feedback on that, and there's a lot of business that's building from it. But when they got exposed to, oh, this, so this is what you can do on virtual, so can you also do something else for us? So all of a sudden, one event that's going to be an in-person, still going to be an in-person event, all of a sudden became one in-person event and two webinars, two mm. virtual events. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So is there any thought regarding pricing that you want to leave our fellow speakers with, Yoram? Well, I want to state why I think that there's less value, because I said that you price it based on value, you don't price it based on price or based on your cost, your own cost. So it's all about value. And the thing is that I am holding my ground on this because of the type of presentation that I have and because of the content of my presentation. I know that I heard a lot of people saying, it's still the same intellectual property, it's still you, it's still the same passion. Yes, but my topic is a topic that is very heavily into motivation, into the experience. I actually get off stage and I touch people. Now, don't misread what I'm saying, because one thing that I do believe in and, and does happen is when you touch someone, you do create another bond, another level of interaction. People interact with each other. I mean, think about Tony Robbins going on a webinar with a PowerPoint and tell me that you get the same value. You don't. So 
if you don't have, if you don't deliver the same value, not because you're not good on camera, I'm, I'm good on camera. I have the setup, I have the four camera setup, OBS and everything else, but it has nothing to do with how good I am. It has everything to do with what will they be getting at the event itself. You've heard both sides and now it's time to make the best decision for your business. Thank you for tuning in to Voices of Experience, the podcast of the National Speakers Association. Catch us on your favorite podcast app, YouTube, and NSA's social media profiles. I'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.